So today's word is on Galatians 5, uh, verse 1 to 12. It is for the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running, you were running a good race, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. The kind of persuasion does not, well, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for, the, for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Let me just ask you a question to think about. What is it that would make you more free? What would make you more free? And what would it look like to live in that freedom? As you kind of picture the freer you in your mind's eye, is it it you with like loads of more money or in, in a new relationship? Or maybe it's a better or a healthier body or a different job or an upgrade and the car you're driving or the house you live in or or free from addiction. It it could be any one of those things, maybe other things. If you've been here over the last few months, you know that Galatians, this letter, this book of the Bible is all about freedom in life. And really it's about how we live out our freedom. Now, any of that stuff you're picturing when I say what's going to make you more free, if it's not Christ and all that you have in him, then still this morning, along with me, you're drawn to seek your freedom in places other than him, in those things that our hearts and our minds go to. When we vision a freer and a, and a better me, well, we're looking somewhere else than Christ for our freedom, aren't we, functionally? And, and I, I think that is what we're so often like. And so today is another day. It's another weekly reminder for you, as it is for me. It's another invitation back to find and experience your freedom in Christ and your life and your home in him uh, alone again. Now, now, the reason that's so necessary, the reason why we kind of need to see this over and over again, and through a letter like uh, Galatians, it feels like we're saying the same thing again. It feels like that to me, so don't worry if it does to you. Is because there's so much that attacks and tries to steal our freedom as Christians. And so, if you like, since we, since we were here this time last week, there's been a lot that's come at us and tried to take away and steal our freedom and undermine it and, and cause us to, 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 to go elsewhere. But listen to this. Do you hear that that first verse that Sam read? Chapter 5, verse 1, page 1171. 
This is a famous verse in the Bible. It's absolutely huge. And it captures the essence of the whole letter. So maybe if you feel like you haven't learned anything from Galatians so far, just listen to this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It summarizes the main point of the letter, but it's also a transition to more practical teaching towards the end of the letter about how we live out this freedom in a Christian life and what difference that makes. And this verse just gives the structure for the sermon today. It's it's super simple. So firstly, the first thing it says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, And then the second thing is, so therefore stand firm. So that's verses two to six. Uh, And thirdly, the third point, don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, verses 7 to 12. The main idea, the big idea is, 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 is for freedom that Christ has set us free and there's two big implications of that that kind of unrolled over, uh, unfolded over the next 11 verses. But, but here's the point. You have been set free for freedom. That's a funny little saying, isn't it? For, it's for freedom that you've been set free. You're, like, you're repeating the same thing. Why, why don't you just say you've been set free? Well, I think the obvious point is being emphasized here. You have been set free and the purpose of that The reason for that, what that's about and what it's aiming is to be free, for freedom. So live in that freedom and that liberty. Imagine someone who spent, I don't know, decades in prison. And finally, the day of their freedom comes and they walk through those prison gates to their new life of freedom. But then they go on to to live their life, and they live their life as if they're still inside. So they eat really poor quality food. They sleep in this really tiny, uncomfortable bed. Maybe they share a room with someone else in a bunk bed or something. I don't know. They they only go outside for one hour of the day that was allotted to them before. They only see one friend a week in visiting hours. That'd be mad, wouldn't it? You've been set free. Go and live free. I mean, one of the tragedies, actually, of some people who spend a long time in prison is that when they're released, they can't deal with the freedom of life outside, and life doesn't go well. But it shouldn't be lost on us, the spiritual point here. How revolutionary is that God's purpose in your life, God's desire, God's plan for you is your freedom. That's what God has for you. How cool is that? God wants you to be free and to experience and live in freedom. It's so different, isn't it, to what we often think God has for us. Religion to us so often seems to demand so much and offer so little. We think it's more like a ball and chain than a key that unlocks this new world of of freedom and this life of freedom to us. And do you know what? Religion most of the time is like that because most religion is about me having to save myself. But with Jesus, I have someone who saves me. I have someone who sets me free. He sets me free from having to earn God's approval by what I do. He sets me free from uh, guilt, uh, the things I've done. He sets me free from fear about the future. uh, And he sets me free from fear about death. And he sets me free from my own bad choices and, and actions. Christ has set us free so we can live in freedom. That's the whole point of it. It's, it's what Jesus elsewhere says, life to the full. I've come that they may have life to the full. So don't go back to living as if you're not free when you've been given that freedom. Like a freed prisoner, live free. Enjoy all Christ has for you and all that you have in him. Now, as we think about that and think about that freedom and what Christ has set us free for, let's just remember what we saw right back at the beginning of the series, that Galatians has a very different 
concept of freedom than most of us probably think of in the culture around us has. See, the freedom of our age is this, what you might call expressive individualism. It's the ability to choose and live out what I want, when I want, how I want. Nobody can restrict me. Nobody can tell me what to do or what not to do. And we think that's what freedom is. Now listen, God's grace is not given to us for that purpose. Christ does not free us so I can make myself a God and make my desires a God and just live for them every time and every situation, come what may. No, no, the idea of freedom in Galatians and indeed in the Bible is the ability not to just live how I want, when I want, what I want, but it's the ability to know and to choose and to live out what is right and what is good and what is beautiful. It's, it's the ability to be who I've made, been made to be, to live in a way that lines up with, with our design and our purpose. It's a freedom, in fact, to live for and by and in Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. Our freedom is in him and all we have in him. And it's not that you have to do this, but it's, it's that you get to do this. This is a gift to us. In Christ, you are now free to forgive, and so you can be freed from having to carry bitterness with you through your life, which just eats away at your soul. In Christ, you are now free to serve freely in a way that doesn't chew you up and, and, and kind of just, just, just make you bitter as well. And in Christ, you're free to love in a way that you never thought possible. And in Christ, you are now free to be content in all things. And that blesses your life massively. That is a free life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now the truth is, we've got to learn to live in this freedom. Just like that ex-prisoner has to learn to live in all of the freedom and and the joy and the liberty of life outside. You've got to learn to do that well. And the rest of the letter gets a bit more practical about how we learn to live in this freedom. What does it look like? Not just to let go and live as you please, but to live by the Spirit of God and by the power of the Spirit of God. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So live in that freedom, discover all the benefits of it. That is his purpose for us. That is his gift. That's the main point. But if that's the main point, then the next thing follows, and that is that we are to stand firm in our freedom in Christ. You see, if if our freedom is in Christ, then we're we're to stand firm on and in him and all we have in him. And, and, and this is the reality that makes sense of, of this little paragraph there, verses 2 to 6, which is all about standing firm in our freedom in Christ. See, our union with Christ is the center and is the lifeblood of our freedom as Christians. You could say freedom is a person that we are united to, the person of Christ. And lots of the language in this, this little section is all about whether we are in Christ, verse 6, or whether we are alienated from him, and so have fallen away, verse 4. So that, he, uh, so that he is no longer of any value at all to us. You see, as Christians, we're brought into this new realm of this freedom in Christ, where we now live and we move and we have our being. It's as if we're being transferred from, uh, to his team. And so we now represent him and he represents us and we kind of belong together and we're bound together and we lose or we win together, except for it's that we win together. And it's only in Christ and only being united to and connected to him that our freedom makes sense and takes shape. We've been set free to live in and by and for Christ. And so Paul wrote earlier in the letter, chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus living in me, and so my life now lived in him. That's union. That's union with Christ. Come along to the Theology Night School to discover more about it. Now, if, if that is where true freedom, if that is where true life is found, no wonder Paul is so stark in his warning of falling away from Christ's grace and being alienated from him so that he is of no value to us. See, the only way to lose our freedom is to step away from Christ. So he is no value to us. This is one of those Bible warnings that can can freak us out about whether we've done that and whether we've fallen away from grace. And and, and for some of us, it can get us in a, a real quandary. But listen, it's not here to scare us. It's not here to scare us of danger and cause us to kind of live in the spiritual paralysis and in fear of falling away. It's there to keep us safe from that danger. You know, like the signs on the cliffs where it's a really funny sign on the cliff top where there's like someone falling down the cliff with loads of rocks going down. It's like a little bit graphic, isn't it? And then you think, but the, the purpose of that sign is to keep us safe. It's a warning to keep you safe. It's, it's, not, it's not to scare you or anything else. No, it's good that that sign is there. And so these warnings are good for us. The whole point of this letter is the good news of Christ means you don't need to stand or fall based on your own performance in any way. Paul's not undermining that here and making it about our performance all of a sudden. No, he says we're united to Christ and we're united by nothing other than our faith in him. It's a faith union. That's really the the right concept. And so to continue to stand on Christ, we put our faith in him. We believe in him. We believe in his promises as we've seen in recent weeks to us today. Don't let anything move you on from your faith in Christ. Don't let anything move you on from your trust and your reliance and your standing on him. For he, he is where and he is who you are truly free in. He's where you find your freedom in your life. Jesus' friend said, where else can we go, Lord, when you alone, you alone have the words of eternal life? Now, an important thing to realize about this this freedom in Christ is that it frees us from others, as we've seen already, imposing their expectations and their standards on us, standards that don't come from Christ. The example here that comes up explicitly is is the example of circumcision. Uh, And Paul writes in verse 6 that neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. He says in and of itself, guys, it's not a big deal. It really doesn't matter. It's an interesting one, you know, because Paul was circumcised. He wasn't opposed to it as a medical procedure. In fact, he even got a Galatian Christian, Timothy, circumcised. Would you believe it? For the sake of gospel mission. It's there in Acts 16. And it might be why some people are opposing him and saying, well, that Paul is still preaching circumcision. He's not consistent in what he's saying. No, the issue Paul has is not with circumcision as such, but verse 4, his issue is if you're trying to justify yourself by doing it. He says if the reason you're getting circumcised is trying to win good standing and relationship with God, if it's something that you do that makes you okay with God rather than trusting in Christ alone, then that's when it becomes a big problem. And that's his problem with circumcision here. It's not circumcision itself, but it's what it represents. It's what the false teachers are making of it as they bind the consciences of the Christians in the church. 
And they kind of, they, 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 they force them into things and, and force this law on them. You see, anything that we rely on as our confidence that everything is okay between us and God, anything we rely on that, yeah, I'm acceptable to God and accepted by him and I'm in good relationship with him, anything that is not Christ and Christ alone is a spiritual problem for us. And what false teachers are saying and, and why people are getting circumcised back there is acting as this alternate doorway into this, this new reality of being God's people. And it's, and it's not the way of freedom in Christ, but it's a way of people-pleasing and, and performance. And, and so it lacks any assurance. Because if you start down a path where you've got to please God by what you do and works of law or whatever, then you've got to follow along that path to the very, very end all the way. You've got to keep the whole law. And it's back to the spiritual slavery of it depending on us. Now listen, it's, it's not wrong to commit yourself to doing certain things as a Christian. It's just as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and the right motives, and you're careful not to impose that on others. We, we, must, let, we must not let our convictions that we might have, and it's okay to hold them, become absolutes which bind their consciences and or discredit the faith of a brother or sister in Christ. Circumcision or uncircumcision has no value. So it meant when, in the case of Timothy, they could do circumcision because it isn't about him trying to please God and win his salvation. Uh, nothing to do with that at all. And no, the reason they did it is about the mission they were on and, and God had called them on and they were doing everything they could to remove any stumbling block for anyone around them hearing the good news of Christ. And so, therefore, Timothy was free to get circumcised in that situation because it was going to advance the mission of God in the world. Now, this is a helpful framework for us as we try to navigate our emphasis on being a local church for our community so that we are effective on mission here. And I know a lot of people and a lot of us have thought about this quite a bit. You see, those of us who have some choice in where we live First of all, we have a massive and extremely rare privilege in history and throughout the world that that's even a choice for us. Count our blessings there. And how we use that uh, privilege, though, is very much in this category of being value neutral in and of itself. So we as a church have learned from many others ahead of us uh, and, uh, and actually from our own experience that to reach a community like the community that God has uh, placed us amongst, it is it's important for a large proportion of the church to live in and among the local people and the local community. And so for our missional effectiveness as a church, we have talked about, uh, and we do talk about, uh, so that we can take the good news of people, to, uh, the good news of Jesus to people who are lost in darkness and need to hear it. We want to remove all stumbling blocks that are in their way. And so we talk about the value of members living locally in this community. And we value that and we encourage each other to consider that as we navigate life decisions. But, but, it is not a law. It is not a rule. It is not a requirement. We do not tell people where they should live. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether you are a Christian. It's not in itself a revelation of how godly you are or how mature you are. It's not a matter of sin and righteousness. It is no reason whatsoever for any guilt. And we will not bind consciences on this. We won't make it a basis on which anyone is accepted in fellowship in this church. Can or can't become a member, for example. These are matters for each of us to navigate according to our conscience and our conviction of God's calling on our lives. 
I know for some of us this is a big issue, and we just want to like we want to be able to talk about these things and, and just work through them together. We don't want to feel that we can't talk about them. So if you want to talk to Johnny or Toby or myself or in Gospel Family, talk about it. It's, it's helpful to do so. It's an important thing. It's a value to us, but it's not a law. It's not a requirement. And we can't make it that because we'll be taking one another back to spiritual slavery. You could say what your postcode is really does not matter. It doesn't matter in the slightest when it comes to faith, when it comes to life, when it comes to freedom in Christ, when it comes to belonging to this church. What really does matter, what really counts for all of us, verse 6, is our faith expressing itself through love. See, this is the shape of our freedom. Faith in Christ, which is seen, which is experienced, which is made visible in our love for him, and as an overflow, our love for one another. This is what really matters as we live. Not where we live, but how we, how we relate to one another and how we help and commit to one another. How we stand firm in our freedom in Christ together, that we love one another. That is what is of great value. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in your freedom in Christ. And thirdly and finally, don't let yourselves, don't let yourselves be burdened again. See, the, verse 7, the imagery just changes. And Paul picks up one of his favorite images for the Christian life. And it is that of running a race. And, and here's some race advice for you. Don't let anyone cut in and throw you into confusion and keep you from following the mark, uh, the, the, the route that's marked out for you. <clears throat> last Sunday was the, the Birmingham Half Marathon, and if you've ever seen one of these events, they, they, they mark out the route very carefully of all of these signs and flags and, um, and, and kind of sometimes rope and stuff so that the runners could follow correctly and they can complete the distance and they can finish the race. They know the route they're going to. Now imagine you were running that race and, and you get to mile 11 and you're going well and you're going strong and you followed all of the directions. You've got two miles to go and someone cuts in front of you and they ignore the signs which are saying, like, at this point you've got to turn right and they turn left. And they look like they're a good runner, and they know what they're doing, and they're going fast. So you think, well, they must know a shortcut. They must have some special knowledge. Maybe I'll follow them. Maybe I'll keep up with them. I might finish quicker. And so you leave the route that's been set out for you and follow them. You were running a good race. You were on track. But then you stopped following the race marked out for you. You were persuaded to go another way and, and someone's taken you off and they've thrown you into confusion and you're no longer obeying the truth of the, the race that has been set before you. That's the spiritual reality going on in the Galatian churches. They're being persuaded to a different way, they, which is no way at all. They're being persuaded away from faith in Christ to relying on their spiritual performance of self again. And Paul is so crystal clear, as he has been throughout the letter, on his rejection of that. He says, those who are persuading others, those who are confusing others and leading them astray, they will pay the penalty. In fact, Paul gets quite mad here, doesn't he? He gets quite mad with the, the spiritual destruction it's causing in the lives of these Christians. He says, I wish those agitators would go the whole way and castrate themselves. This is vivid and painful and violent image, but I guess he's just trying to wake them up. This is, this is dangerous, guys. This is spiritual violence that's happening to you and in your churches. Now, another way of thinking about this danger, if we're thinking about this kind of running this, this race, is don't let yourself be burdened as you run the race of faith. Don't let yourself be burdened. There was this guy who, um, 
it was, it was actually 20 years ago, because I looked it up this week. He ran, in, he ran the London Marathon wearing one of those old deep-sea diver um, suits, you know, like those really old kind of heavy metal things. Apparently, it weighed 60 kgs. So he did that for charity. Uh, respect the guy. It took him five days to do, <laughs> do the marathon. Like, it's like... Uh, uh. Um, that's no way to run the race of faith. Like, good on the guy. He raised a lot of money for charity, but that's not, that's not a good way to run the race of faith. Freedom in Christ means you lay down your weights, you lay down your burdens, those, those things that we carry through life. Don't carry them anymore. Don't carry them anymore. Throw off anything that hinders. Throw off and behind you the sin that so easily entangles. Don't let yourselves be burdened by these things again. Don't be yoked to them. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that's fastened over the neck of, of two animals that kind of fastens them together and so they pull uh, a cart or a plow uh, along together and so when you're yoked you're connected to something it's maybe like I don't know doing a three-legged race or something you're kind of yoked to someone Paul says don't be yoked to the spiritual slavery of having to win and keep God's favor by your own spiritual performance each day. Don't be burdened by having to meet the standards and the expectations of other people. Don't be loaded down by carrying your own sins and your failures with you and not letting go of them and having freedom from them. All of that makes it really, really hard to run the race of faith. Even a little bit of that way of thinking and living is extremely dangerous, Paul says. It can trip you up. It can weigh you down. A little bit of the yeast of that works through the whole dough. It can take over your whole life. Now, instead, be like one of those athletes who runs free and fast. You know, when you watch kind of the Olympics or whatever, and they kind of, they strip down, and they take the layers off, and then they just there in that kind of tight lycra, basically. Uh, aerodynamic and good to run. That's the way we're to, we're to run the Christian life. Strip everything off and just ready, just with the essentials. Now, how do we do that? By knowing where our freedom is and staying there. This is how this all connects together. You see, Jesus invites people in Matthew. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invites you to take his yoke upon you, to learn from him. To be yoked to him, you could say to be united to him, to be connected to him, one with him. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When two um, oxen are yoked together to pull a plow, you have an older and a bigger one and a younger and a, a smaller one often. And the bigger one carries the weight. The bigger one shoulders the burden while the younger, weaker one learns to walk alongside. To be honest with you, the, easy, uh, the, uh, the younger one gets an easy ride. Christ yoked himself to us as he stretched out his arms on a wooden crossbeam to cover over us. And as his arms were nailed to the cross and stretched out over your shoulders, as he yoked himself to you, he took the weight, he took the burden, he took the pressure of the wrath of God for your sins. 
He took the weight of the standards of God's law to be met. He took uh, what it meant to live a life according to God's purpose and and God's values and perfectly good in every way. He took the, the pressure of overcoming Satan and all of his temptation. This is the cross that people find so offensive, verse 11. This is the cross that calls me out as a failure and as a sinner. This is a cross that shows and proves what I have failed to do and who I have failed to be. And so it forces me to stoop low and humble myself and come to him in simple faith alone. People hate it. Make no mistake, people hate the cross of Christ. They smile and they look nice, but they hate it. It offends them. And yet through that cross, Christ yoked himself to us so that we can walk alongside him in freedom and life. His yoke is light, and his burden is easy. Because he takes the weight for us. We get an easy ride. The life of faith is a gift, guys. It feels hard, but we get an easy ride. There's a gift. And as we walk alongside him by faith, you could say we run the race of life by faith. He's a good shepherd who keeps us safe from death. He's a good shepherd who gives rest and pasture to our souls. He's he's a good shepherd who cares for us through a trial. He's a good shepherd who has grace and forgiveness that is new for us every morning. And he's a good shepherd who promises us uh, to deliver us safely to the end. He's a good shepherd who guides us through all of life and shows us his will. He takes the way and we just walk alongside in freedom and life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is true and real freedom. Stand firm in that. Stand in it. Stay standing in it. In your faith and your reliance on him. And don't let yourselves, don't let anyone burden you again. Put another weight on your back. Cause you to walk away from him. Their yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you that you yoked yourself to us on the cross. For you, it was incredibly hard, incredibly painful, incredibly weighty and burdensome. And for us, you say it is light and it is easy. And you invite us to come. Why wouldn't we come and receive? Why wouldn't we just breathe in this air of freedom and this joy and this life, Lord? I don't know why I so often ignore that, forget it, look elsewhere for freedom and life. Forgive me, be gracious to me as I know you will, and would you give me and give each of us a taste of the freedom and life that you have for us today? We praise you, Jesus, that in you we are free and we are free indeed. Would we learn what it looks like to live in that together? Keep us from burdening one another. And may we rejoice together now as as we sing, as we pray, as we talk, as we go and share meals together and hang out today and go on into the rest of our lives. Would we enjoy and revel in this freedom that we have in you together, we pray. In your name, amen.